Amen, amen, amen. Give it to the Lord. Yes, amen, amen. How many are in expectation? Yes, yes. You can adjust my mic, as you know. I like to be loud. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Wow, what a blessing to be here. Um, yesterday we had an amazing time. And I, I tell sometimes in a joking manner, I tell some of my people that uh, when God blesses me and I find that the word that I gave, that he used me to give, it was a word that I can trust 100% that came from God. I am so blessed by it that I'm willing to give myself an offering. <laughs> Put my hands, lay my hands right on myself and fall right back to the, not to the floor, to the bed. <laughs> Amen. We had a great time. So, was somebody blessed yesterday? Amen. Amen. I know that the presence of the Lord was here. And um, both workshops that we had were um, powerful. And that the Lord spoke to many people, if not all. Um, but of course, God always has people that he decides to speak to openly. And that's his choice. And that's the move of the Spirit of God. Honored to be here. Again, thank you um, to the Apostle Victor and his family, and obviously the church and the leadership for allowing us to be, to be able to partake this morning with you. And like I said yesterday when we took the part, I always honor um, those that allow us to be able to entrust their children to us, their spiritual children, as one word wrongly said can really mark a person that has taken a lot of years for a pastor and, and a fellowship to grow. But um, as long as we're edifying the body of Christ and everything is coming from the scriptures and the word of God, then God will be glorified and people will be uh, blessed. Amen. Um, greetings from the PAC Center in Perthambo, New Jersey. Right now they're having their celebration. Um, my wife, Pastora Aide, um, she's there together with, with a guest speaker, a young prophet of God. Um, and, and, and the people of the Lord, they already had discipleship at 10 in the morning. It's one of the requirements. You can't do anything in church unless you go to the discipleship. can't not dance. You will not do sound. You will not do anything in church. You will not clean the church unless you come to discipleship. And our, our way of doing it is at 10 o'clock in the morning. And um, it helps us to develop a culture of learning. Um, you cannot walk in something that you haven't seen or known. And so we need to teach. And so, um, so they're having a good time over there, and um, they send their greetings, and I did give the greetings to my wife, um, Pastor Aide. I don't have two books here but in front of me, but in the back, there's a few books that uh, Pastor Aide, she wrote. Yesterday, we had some. We ran out of all of them, and so I just brought some extra ones if someone wants any of them. Um, one of the books has to do with the theses that God allowed her um, to, to, to receive the um, highest award for the best thesis at the time that we were in school. Um, and though we had gone to our different colleges and universities, we decided, all many of us, a whole generation, to embark, many um, of our people at the same time and age, and who are ministers, thank you. Um, and they, they, we decided, it was honestly led by the Lord to go to a school. And we were highly blessed. And in that school, um, you're supposed to do a um, thesis, um, whether it was for a bachelor's, a master's, or, or, um, or a doctor's degree. 
And she was able to do a thesis, which she turned into a book. Actually, the Lord had spoken to her many years ago about writing a book. Little did she know that God would use her thesis to open up an area of one gift that she had that none of us knew. She didn't even know. And that's the way God works. He just sets you up and puts you in a place that you have no idea why you're even there. And, or an encounter. Have, have anybody experienced that? Yes. That you're speaking to someone and you're wondering, why am I speaking to Why am I here? Uh, why did God put, put me in this position? Maybe it's not even your passion. And all of a sudden, it's because it's a path. It's a door to something bigger that you had no clue that God would open that you didn't even know that was inside of you. Amen? And so this book, it's called um, Para Ti Mujer, For You Woman. In a few months, it will come out in English. It's being translated, or it was translated, just being edited, um, finally, for the English version. And it's three generations. It's my beautiful wife, my beautiful daughter, my beautiful granddaughter. If they're my family, have to be beautiful, right? <laughs> and I better say that, especially with women. <laughs> and um, we're all about legacy. Legacy that doesn't mean that everything goes well. Legacy means that what you did was intentional, and it's to pass on a baton. And when you're going to pass it on, as you move forward, as you develop, as you grow, as you model, people will see and receive that. And it's a matter of time before fruition is at hand. Amen? So um, these uh, amazing topics, I'm not going to go over them. I went through the, over them yesterday. At, in the back, if you read Spanish, is there. If you know someone who reads Spanish and may benefit from that, it has to do with basically res- rescue and restoration of the dignity of a uh, woman of God and the people that God wants to um, lift up. Also, the, the second book is um, Amor a la Antigua is love the old-fashioned way. Um, many years ago, 30, going on 38 years ago, I went to a, a, a youth retreat in Puerto Rico. I was born and raised in New Jersey. I went to school in Puerto Rico. And while in, in college, I went to this youth retreat because I had a band, and we went to play. And from the back, from the rear, I saw a young lady with a yellow dress and just knocked me out. And I said, that is a violin, and I'm a great violin player. I will play that violin. <laughs> and, and from there on, um, that night we, we hit it right off, off the mark. Uh, we started speaking. Three o'clock in the morning, we were still talking. And what she said later on, she confessed that what got her, do you know that women always fall through the ear? Have you ever seen the, 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 the worst looking guy with the most beautiful woman? And, and you say, how did he get her? How did we? Because he, he has, he's able to gab. He's able to talk. So I was able to talk her into believing in me till 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and she confessed that, that um, I never got to other things that other young men, of course, at that age would look for in talking about. And, um, but we got into family. We got into vision. And, and from there on, we developed a relationship. It, it got rocky for a minute there. We even broke up during our relationship while, while we were... Um, courting, and um, but God, God was so amazing, and everything we did was according to values, and that's what's in here. It's framed in this book. So if you know someone who's planning to get married, someone who's going through tough times, there's a lot of principles that are there, and so we share those principles in these two books. Um, soon you'll have one of them in English, and um, and I take this opportunity to say that what we said yesterday. There's people here that God has spoken to you about writing, and you need to get pen to paper, 
You need to sit down at the computer and you need to stop you know, paying attention to stuff that you should not be paying attention to and, and let that which God planted a seed in you to come out. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Amen. Um, have one of, our, um, uh, speak, uh, one of our evangelists from our network. Um, he's here with me. He mostly um, speaks Spanish, but I'm going to ask him to come and greet you. He flows in the anointing of many things, but obviously in the anointing of miracles. And um, when I go out um, and I'm ministering and I do an altar call, I want him around me. I have a few evangelists and prophets and all of that. They go with me sometimes to different places. And um, I tell them, wherever you see a demon, you know, possessing someone, that's your job. And, and I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> um, he's gifted. And I'm going to ask him to come. I don't know if I have another mic so I can translate um, for, for him. Um, but I want, I'd like to give him an opportunity to, to bless you. Because um, you never know one word will change a lot of stuff. And so um, evangelist uh, Manuel Jaques, come forward and then just greet the people. Bendiciones. Blessings. Blessings. ¿Cómo está la iglesia de Dios en esta mañana? How is the people of the Lord? Amen, amen, amen. Tremenda amen. congregación. Uh, you have a great congregation. Y aquí en esta iglesia hay muchos milagros de Dios. And there's many miracles of the Lord here in this place. Dios está pasando por aquí en esta tarde. God is going through here this, this afternoon. Y mucha gente hoy van a ser cambiada. And many people will be changed. A través de la palabra que Dios va a poner en la Through the word that God will place in the apostles' um, lips. Mira el que está a su lado y dígale. Uh, look at the person who's next to you and say. Yo nunca seré igual. I will never be the same. Después de este día. After this day. Dios me lo bendiga. God bless Dios me lo guarde. you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. You know, yesterday we were um, here, and um, it was kind of last minute. We had not coordinated. But uh, a week ago, I told um, my um, dance pastor, her name is Pastor Marlene, and she does other stuff, but she supervises dance ministry. And I told her, listen, we're going to this workshop. I really can't have you go on Sunday, um, but can you go with me on, on this Saturday? And they came. And when they came up, it, all of a sudden there was a shifting, those that were here, experience there was a shifting and I cannot let go of that moment to say that uh, when God has given gifted you with something you must use it for the kingdom because um, there's people waiting the manifestation of your gifting and um, if you don't use it you're literally stealing from others and, um, and, and and I know that there's a demand in this house for a prophetic dance ministry And um, it's not the first time that you've heard it. I also heard it today when you know, the apostle mentioned it. And I take this opportunity because yesterday was a prime example of how a prophetic dance ministry comes in. And there's a shifting in the atmosphere. And everything flows from there on. And so I say that because the evangelist um, Hakes just came just say a few words. And you could tell what, what he carries, right? Um, miracles and expectation. And, um, and I know that that's, that is what God is doing and will continue to do in this house. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, we're going to go to Scripture. Um, I'll try. as The, the other day, uh, I'll try to do the, my best. Because the other day, um, I had my um, homiletics class. 
and the teacher, we have a Bible Institute, it's a three-year program, and you can, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 5. And our homiletics teacher told me, listen, all the students will be looking at your, at your sermon. They want to see, you know, the, the formal way of presenting sermons. And boy, did they put me in a straitjacket. And I told the students when I took the part, listen, don't do anything of what I do. Just do what I say. Because, you know, we've been taking, giving and taking homiletics class, hermeneutics, the whole thing. And boy, but sometimes when you're flowing in what God has gifted you, you forget about the three points, the objectives, the introduction, the conclusions, that, that, and you just flow with what God is giving you. So we're going to give you the scripture. I'll try my best to be very uh, appropriate, but I'm not responsible for anything. <laughs> I'm responsible for making sure that what God wants to say is said here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Tell your brother or your sister, be an expectation. Amen. Second Kings chapter 5. I want to read some scriptures, key scriptures here. Um, so let's start with verse 1. And the word of the Lord says in the name of the Trinity. Now Naaman, say with me Naaman, Naaman. Commander of the army of the king of Syria. So he was a commander, was a great and honorable man in the eye of his master. Because by him the Lord, that's key, the Lord. Now he's a commander for the Syrian king. But the Lord had given victory to Syria. Think about that. The Lord had given victory to Syria through a man who's a commander of the people who are enemies to Israel. And I want you to, to, to take that in for a moment because then later on I won't be able to talk about that. It's going to go quickly through this. Because God will allow other people to be blessed because there's something in that formula that has to do with you. And they may be your enemies. So watch out who you curse out. Because who you curse out may be the person God is using for your benefit. And it says, he was also a man, a mighty man of valor. But then there's a comma and it says, but a leper. And you find in scriptures so many stories of things that are not supposed to be. A man of valor, a mighty man of valor. He's a commander. He has a high position. God has blessed him, and he's a commander. And he's part of the enemies of Israel, but he's a leper. So whenever you see in life that there are contradictions, watch out. There's a nugget there that God is letting you see. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and, he, and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. So you find someone who's young. Watch out as we speak about legacy and speak about ceasing his promises that the person that you least think may be the key to what God is about to do in the midst of his people. It's a young lady. She's captive. I don't know what you've gone through, but in the midst of whatever you've gone through, you may be about to be used by God to just unleash a powerful miracle for somebody. And you're all consumed in your crisis, in your depression, in your chaos, in your loss, in your grief. And you hold the key for somebody to be, uh, be able to experience an amazing miracle. And it says, then she said to her mistress, if only my master were the prophet who is 
if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Just think about her, 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 her reaction to the need. She saw a need. She didn't look at her condition. She saw a need. She identified it. She called him master. She gave him honor. And she said, there's a man that I know, and if he only went there, I know that he will be healed. How convincing, how much of a conviction in this young lady. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now they're enemies. And it says, um, To the king of Israel. So he departed and took him... Ten talents of silver, he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Even an unbeliever understands the power of giving. We don't buy miracles, but God is looking at your heart. And when he has given you something, and with that little something you are not faithful, but you expect this big miracle. Remember the widow at the temple? Everybody had given, but he said, out of everyone who gave, she gave. Do you know that God observes your offerings? And I'm not speaking only about money. He observes your attitude. He observes, he sees everything. Not to judge you, but to find out what your motivation is. Because he wants to speak to you to take you to a higher place. And it says, then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Here's one king who's the enemy, who's taken over and affected, um, and, and now taken over some of the people and kept, brought them captive to Syria and send them a letter to the king of Israel. I'm sending you this, my commander. And remember that the ver- first one said that he was a high, highly favored commander, man of big valor with a lot of victories that God had given him, but he was le- a leper. And it says, I'm sending him to you, and I'm expecting him for you to, be, for you, for you to heal him. Mm-hmm. What demand will the world make on you in the midst of your chaos? And it happens that when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill him, make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Basically, he's saying, this guy is using this as an excuse to come and invade me again, take more people away, put more taxes on me, more burdens, because he had no notion of the person who was in town, a prophet of God. And it says, so it was that when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Wow, what clarity in his identity and his calling. That's the challenge to Calvary Fellowship. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be Clean, but Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, 
I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the water of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And we'll leave it there. Bottom line is that his servants came to him and say, why not do it? He was able to dive into the river that he did not want, which was the Jordan, the place of death. But do you know that in the place of death, there's the key to victory in your life? However, while we will talk about that miracle, here's the point. He came with offerings. And he came with offerings to the prophet. And the prophet didn't even come out to greet him. Once he's healed, he comes back. And after reporting to the prophet, the prophet blesses him. And he has a servant. His name is Jesse. Say with me, Jesse. Jesse. And that's my message. Jesse was so close to the miracle, but far, so far away from the, from the glory. My message is not about Naaman. My message is about Jesse. Because I believe, and I know in my spirit, that God has brought me to give you a particular message. You are so close to the miracle, but you cannot be so far from the glory. And that's the topic of my message. There is a, a, a sad story to start off with. This guy, his name is Aaron Burr. If you studied anything about history, American history, presidents, by presidents, you may know a little bit about Aaron Burr. I'm not a historian, but I like to find nuggets in people. And um, this young man had an amazing resume in his life. It was impressionable. Uh, when you look at him from the outside <coughs> and you look at his background, you say, wow, he was the grandson to a theologian named Jonathan Edwards. This is Aaron Burr's. He was the son of a president of Princeton University. He, he served as a soldier in, 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 in the War on Independence, and he spent time even with George Washington. This guy had a history. Later on, he was elected senator for, for the state of New York to United States Senate, to, to actually, yes, to United States Senate. Um, he was a candidate in the national elections in the 1800s, and he came just within one electoral vote to be elected president of this nation. That's Aaron Burr. Finally, he became the vice president of the United States during the time that Thomas Jefferson was the president. If his life if his public life had finished there, you would have said, wow, this Aaron Burr was amazing. He conquered so many things. What a pedigree. What an honorable man. He served his country. He gave his life. The problem is that his life did not end there, which is so parallel to the life of Jesse. He died after living out of the United States in Europe. He came back and he died alone because he was an outcast because he was the one that pulled the trigger against the president, Alexander Hamilton. He conspired during the Mexican-American War to take a track of land and declare another nation independent where he would become the president. 
and he tried to establish his own country in the river of the Mississippi. So he was so close to glory, to fame, to having done so many great things, but he ended up so far away from grace. It is people like that that we need to study because it is people like that who bring, take, take, bring us to a place of attention, to pay attention to what is it that we're after. What is it that moves us? What's the motivation that we have? Because they started well, but they ended wrong. They started in the right side, they ended in the wrong side. They became deceptions in history. People like him are called treasoners. People like him are called people that they are literally your enemies amongst you, and you don't even know them. So instead of being reminded of him or remembered as someone that we we, 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 we thank God for that person that lived an honorable per, uh, lifestyle as a leader. He was reminded, he was remembered as someone who had bitterness and anger issues in his life and who had evil behaviors that are at the core of his being. What could have been is the phrase that many people use for people in your family, people in churches, people with talents. Everywhere, what could have been, what could have been. Having been raised in a church environment, which is my story, worked in government in the field of human services with touching hundreds of people, having supervised hundreds of people in the state of New Jersey, having worked with pastors, apostles, having started as a musician, having recorded uh, done so much music around in, in the gospel, in the kingdom, having traveled so many countries, having touched per- people personally from a per- therapeutic, very personal therapeutic perspective, having set, seen so many individuals in group settings, having ministered to so many people from young, from children, adolescents, youth, and, 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 and adults. You see people, and the sad thing is that when you see people and that you know the potential that they carry, you see the greatness that is inside of them. The sad thing is when you see it in them, but they never see it in them. One comes to know when there are spirits, ideas, concepts, beliefs that just run counter in people's minds, in people's being, that run counter to God's plans and purpose for people and organizations. And when you bring it to their attention, they're so caught up into these ideas and these concepts that run counter to God's purpose and God's principles that you get frustrated. And if there's something that bothers me, is when I'm able to see people, the greatness in people, the seed of potential in people, and they don't see it no matter how you present it. English, Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying, whatever you want to do, they still don't get it. Because there's a drive in them for evil behavior that no one can stop it unless it is God and there's a surrender. There are just people that are so close, but at the same time, they're so far. People that because of the above and other traits abort their greatness from God and destiny, which they literally carry inside. We know in church settings, bringing it to church settings, but these are spirits that encompass the whole world. That there are spirits that bother, that limit, that make you abort God's purpose. 
as the spirit of Jezebel, which I'm, I'm sure you guys have talked about the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Absalom, the spirit of Cain, who killed his brother with cruelty. The Pharisaic and legalistic spirit, the spirit of, of witchcraft, the, the, the spirit of, of, of being mild in the Lord, the spirit of neglect. And those are spirits that people carry that sometimes they're not even aware that they're, they're being bothered, that it's being hovered over them. There's so many people that carry those spirits that don't may be, they may be close to the fire, close to the anointing, almost within them. They may jump, they may sing, they may praise, they may even preach, but still within them, they're so far. This is what happens to Jesse. Jesse could have been remembered as the third main prophet after Elijah, after Elijah, the next one in succession should have been Jesse. He could have been distinguished as a person of diligence, dedication, helping assistance of the greatest prophets. As we will see later on, there's a significant assignment that God had for him. He could have been added to many a list of amazing people. As we know, Elisha made, the Bible talks about eight miracles. Elijah had 60 miracles. He could have had 32 miracles that could have been written in the scriptures about Jesse. Because if you think that getting, being close to Elijah, Elijah was able to see, to touch, to feel, to be able to minister to the people of Israel with power and anointing. Imagine what Jesse could have been able to do having had access to Elisha and Elijah. So a key to where God wants to take you is who are you connected to? How has God connected you to a house, to men of God, to women of God? How high have you been able to see and touch and go? Because God never wastes an opportunity in a relationship. He never wastes anything in your life. There's purpose of God in everything. That's how come the Apostle Paul wrote. We move in him. We are in him. We speak in him. Everything we do is in him. If you're here today, it's not coincidence. It's because God in you, the hope of glory is working in you so that you can interpret what you're going through and what you're seeing because there's a code inside of that environment and situation to take you to a place and give you a message that you're so close, don't give it up. Sadly, the image that we have of Jesse is a man who was a servant. He went up the line. He was living to serve an amazing man of God. And he made a trade. What Naaman had, which was money, but he had no health. He gave up his glory, his assignment. His future and exchanged it for Naaman's sickness because he ended up with leprosy. And Naaman ended up with a new God and with everything God had given him. We see Naaman, we see Jesse, and his first, uh, the first time we see him, we, we, we see him when it has to do with the Shunammite woman. 
The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 4 through 11 through 16. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Now we're talking about Elijah. Then he said to Jesse, his servant, called the Shunammite man, woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, this is the prophet. Say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is there to be for you? And Jesse, Jesse answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, so the prophet told Jesse, the servant, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Why is that important? Second Kings chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Because Jesse was a servant and he started modeling after his own spiritual father, who, who was Elijah. How, what, what do we know about Elijah? We know that Elijah, the way he started, he took off in his ministry, was by serving his spiritual father, Elisha. And now he has access to the glory. He has access to the miracle. He has, he's a witness firsthand of a word that is being given by his father, spiritual father, the prophet Elijah, to a woman who is serving him. Every time Elijah comes around, Every time he's going through, this woman told her husband, we got to do something for this prophet. And they build a room. They put a lampstand. And they, they put a bed. And they, and they put a table. And they, they serve him with a room. And they give him meals. And one day the prophet is saying to, to his servant, Jesse, this woman, she serves us. We got to do something for her. And Jesse moved in the environment of the supernatural. This is the Jesse who will exchange glory for sickness. This is the man that, that, that had in his hands the possibility of, of turning into an amazing man of God. And as, I, as we look at that, think about what you've been exposed to. What access have you had, have you had to the supernatural of God? And what decisions are you making? That you may not be exchanging for something that appears to be bigger now, but at the end of the day is going to kill God's purpose in your life. He saw how a year later, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. I'm going to tell this house what the Lord has given me. Which is, I do not want to miss a beat. I don't want to miss a, a minute. I don't want to minute, miss by a day. Nothing that God has planned for me and my house. I don't want to miss what God has planned for this house. You don't want to miss it. You want to be in every service. You want to be in every prayer service. You want to come to every Bible study. You want to come on Sundays. You want to be careful how you plan your, your, your summer Summer is not the time where, where you just forget about church. You, know, you come to church because the day that you don't come is the day that God has a word for you. Don't miss your opportunity. Do not miss your prophetic window. Because what God is about to do, He will do it. And if you're not here, you will miss it. 
He had access. He could see how the man of God was operating. He saw the power of the word. He saw the power of the vision. It was the prophet of God who saw a woman who had a need and he said, we're going to do something for her. That was Jesse. He saw it. He was part of it. He had discernment. He saw a need. He was starting to get from the prophet that which the prophet carried. You can never be the carrier of the kabat, the glory of God, if you decide to change God's formula. What was God's formula? The minute you believe that serving is not for you, that minute you made a trade-off. You think God doesn't look? I don't know what was going on here that you mentioned about the pipe. Do you think God doesn't look? He's not looking or he's not aware of who came, who cleaned, who picked up. You know, who spent time? Could have been with the family, but they were here washing, fixing, going to the store, cleaning, bringing food, serving. We had an event yesterday. Who was here, you know, serving others, blessing others? Who was here um, serving the food, going to the store, um, you know, bringing the water? Who was here using a day, a Saturday that you could have been a hundred places other, but you were here in the house of the Lord, and you got something that you may not have been able to even interpret today, but as time goes on, God has given you a nugget somewhere during the day yesterday, and that's what's going to push you over. So after the servant saw this, something clicked and was wrong in his mind. Because he knew that Elijah, Elijah himself, he was able to learn by how? By serving his master Elijah. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh. Using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose. And this is what I want to highlight in 1 Kings 19, 21. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. You will never get to your destiny unless you learn to follow God's servants and serve them. It is service. That's what Jesus said. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And give his life in rescue for the many. The minute I see someone as a pastor or as a leader, or even as an apostle and I supervise pastors, and I see that there's this pride and you have no access to the pastor or to the apostle. And you're now untouchable. And you have your selected seat. But all of a sudden the church gets packed. And somebody who is needy needs that those seats. Who cares who you are? The need is more important than the position. Not to boast. But I still drive a van. I don't often do it, but once in a while, if there's a need, I drop a van. I fill it up with people. If I have to wash the, the, the bathrooms, I will do it. Not because we don't have people. Because I cannot stand to see something that's out of whack, out of place, and not do it myself. 
It's my nature. It's what God has given me. Because I know there's a secret in serving. This is what Elijah learned from Elisha. And this is what Jesse, he saw in Elijah that he had served his spiritual father, Elijah. Later on, the Bible speaks that Jehoshaphat, the second Kings 3.11, he said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire to the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He poured water on the hands of Elisha. So we know that the modeling was there. What model are you seeing? What type of modeling are you watching? Who are you after? Let me tell you, my son, um, um, Pastor Jocelyn, one of our pastors, she, she mentioned this yesterday. My son, last Sunday, was given a discipleship, and he was speaking about, don't get confused or upset, but he was talking about millennials. And, and, and he was talking about how millennials and this new generation, everything is about Starbucks coffee. coffee. And he was ta- calling it the, the Starbucks gospel. And she brought the word yesterday and used that as a point of reference. And we have people nowadays that all they want to do is to be served. They're after the stars. They're after the people on TV. They're looking for stardom. They're looking for positions. They're looking for to have the crowds. But there's no one paying the price in the back rooms of loneliness. Where you need to bend down and bend your knees and go into your prayer closet. It was Jesus who said, you want to know how to pray before you think about praying in public. You go into your prayer closet and you kneel down and you as God and he who sees you in secret will bless you in public. So when I hear someone, I watch something, I want to know what's their story. I want to know what are, what's the kinks in your armor. What are the things that you've gone through? Talk to me about your sickness and your weakness and your time of struggle. And when you had troubles in your marriage and troubles with your children and challenges in your ministry. And how you cried and you found yourself lonely and you were surrounded. But it was in those moments that God taught you your best lessons. Then preach to me. God has worked with many a people that I've seen that God has taken them from nothing and raised them up. And I have applauded God's work in life. But I also can tell you the name and last name of people that I work with in ministry, in business, in government that I saw that they had the talents. And still, some of them are still in ministry, but they are definitely not fulfilling God's potential in their life. Because they stole. Because when no one was watching, they broke the rules. Because there's a character flaw. Because they did not humble themselves. They did not surrender. They did not repent. Because they took took, um, um, honor for someone else's work. They could have been amazing heirs to, to God's ministries. But God had to choose someone from the outside because they disqualified themselves. The Bible says in Psalms 145 verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. When the psalmist wrote that scripture, 
He, there's no question that he was thinking about a generation that takes responsibility to teach their children, their grandchildren, their spiritual children, and make sure that they understand the histories of people like Jesse who had the opportunity to reach glory manifested and they gave it up and exchanged it for garbage. So Elijah, even at one time, the Bible says in 2 Kings 4.29 that he even gave his cane, his staff, basically his baton to Jesse. The Bible says in 2 Kings 4.29, get yourself ready and take my staff into your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child who had died. Because that same child that he prophesied to a, year, a few years later has died. And he told them, Take my anointing, take my history, take my staff. You've heard messages about the staff. You know what it meant. You know how they would write and do marks in order for them to remember the key moments where the struggles and the challenges, God had supernatural come in. And he told them, take my whole history and take it with you and use it as a foundation. Because when you leave a legacy to another generation, you're expecting for your children and the new generation to, to go on top of your shoulders and take it from there so they won't have to go through everything you went through. And he gave him his staff, and that was Jesse. He gave it to him so that he would be able to realize miracles, to be able to operate, to start, get your feet wet. One of the things we know about new generation, and there's nothing against new generation, but you need to be aware of this. Somebody needs to talk to you about that, is that many of them are irreverent. They don't honor godly things. They're always gabbing and yapping and speaking. Whatever comes to their mind, they just put it out there in, in all types of social networks. There's no filters. And they're willing to repeat and share everything that they read. Anybody makes a statement, it doesn't matter where it comes from. No one is checking it, no one is filtering through scriptures to see if it's true or not. They just put it out there in social networks. They're, they want immediate results. They want to, to get to the high places. This generation challenges the culture of organizations. And in this house, there's new generations. And we want to leave at the baton. We want to give them the staff. But I'm telling you from, as a messenger of the Lord, the same message I give to everyone else. While you have a responsibility to learn from us, we have a responsibility to teach you. To give you the opportunities. Let you take over. Take over the worship. Take over the praise. Take, get involved with all the gifts that God has given you. That's what we want. A new message, a new move, a new wave. Let God do so that he will do supernaturally. But you cannot exchange it at the altar of principles and values. Amen. Amen. The day a church does that, because all I want is all the chairs filled, that's the day that the church starts losing and it's doomsday moving forward. So as we look, you have in this history... And I want you to look quickly as I move towards the end of this uh, word that God has given me. I want you to look quickly at the type 
five types of people that are in the story. Number one, there's Naaman. Naaman is a commander. He's working for the Syrian king. He's victorious. There's an exception in his life. And that he is a leper. You want to be careful with everyone who shines. Because as you know, and I said it, yes, I'll repeat it. Right now we have a president in the White House who's a narcissist. I'm not saying that he wasn't placed there by God. I said it yesterday. He's there. I believe the word of God. God places and takes out kings. That's my trust. I believe, period. I learned that when years ago, one of my first votes as an adult, I voted for someone and that someone did not win for president. And I said, Lord, how, what am I going to do with this president? And the Lord took me to my knees and I learned some, a principle that the Lord gave me. In order for you to pray for someone, you need to love that someone. So I, then I said, Lord, put love in me for that man that you have placed in the White House. Because I don't love him. But once I loved him, I started praying for him. And then he became my president. But we do have, which is the point I want to highlight, we do have a narcissist. And we know that narcissists, they, they come from a point of reference where narcissists, what they're trying to do, whether they know it or not, is that they're hiding insecurities inside and complexes. When people sh- want to shine and too much, but you don't see them paying the price. Watch out. When everything is shiny and nice and glorious. And let me tell you, that happens everywhere and in every family. And you got to be careful that you don't love what God hates. When you see someone that is operating and scaling up and going up and highlighting and moving forward, but they're not paying the price and there's no sacrifice and there's no humility, you should not be applauding. It is, there's the second person we have there is the, the, the slave, the girl, the young lady. She is one that is, in spite of her challenges, she's give, given faithful testimony of her God. She's not ashamed. She's being able to, just like Daniel and Nehemiah and many others, to, in the midst of their crisis, use their situation to be able to to use God's purpose and plan in their lives for the benefit of others. Again, where are you at? What is it that's surrounding you? What is it that you don't like? What In the midst of what fire are you in? And how can you use that in spite of where you're, whatever you're going through so that God will be glorified? We have an anonymous Israelite um, king. He's, he's, he's the, the nominated person. He's a person with the title. But he, he, he is in, in, in disgrace. This king is, is in shame and afraid because he's not even aware and he doesn't come to mind in the midst of a, of a threatening letter to him. He's paranoid. This man, this king is sending me a letter that I must heal this person and he's operating with paranoia to the point that he forgets. It doesn't come to his mind that he has a prophet in the land. And let me tell you, if there's something that personally I don't want to be part of it, 
is when there's a group of people that call themselves believers in Christ. You're trying to establish the kingdom, but you do not believe in the prophetic. The minute you move, remove the prophetic spirit the, that's over every house, the minute you curtail the prophetic gifting that are in every house, and the minute you stop inviting once in a while someone who's a prophet in office from coming and blessing and shaking the ground in your house, that minute you said to God, what's about to come, I'm not interested. My plans are bigger than your plans. On purpose, I invite prophets. On purpose, I want them to come. And as long as they're, pro- they're prophets according to scripture, then I want them to come and rattle the house. And obviously, we have Elijah. Elijah. He's a man of God. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 8. He was able to demonstrate God's power as a prophet in Israel. But this man, I want you to look at him for a second in two ways. A man of God committed to God with a history of serving. But the other flip side is, how do you react when people you believe who are close to you, who carried your own vision, who were your spiritual children, how do you react? What's your reaction to crisis when their true identity is revealed? How do you react when people that you trusted, that you thought were operating, were edifying, were building with you? What's your reaction to that? Are you willing to entertain negotiating God's character and principles? Because you love them more than what you love God? Because your reaction will reveal not so much about them, will reveal about you. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my grandchildren. I love my wife. I love myself. But the minute me or my wife or my kids or my grandchildren or the closest ones to me, the minute we sway from God's principles, that minute, though I may hurt, though I may feel a loss, though I may cry, that minute... I must be able to withstand and say, I love you, but I don't love your behavior. I love you, and if I have to remove myself and establish boundaries, I'll do that. But the kingdom of God, His truth, His his glory, everything He has stated is more important than what you're doing right now. Because at the end of the day, every situation is a test of character. So if you go back to the story with me, let's take it from where he comes in and he brings the money. He brings the gift. He sends the letter. The king of Syria takes the letter and he sends it over to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel tears his clothes as a message. This is a mess. This is chaos. But there is a man of God that hears what has happened. And when Naaman... Comes with his horses and chariot. Verse 9. He stands at the door of Elijah's house. And you would believe that Elijah would now. 
hear that he's there and will come out. But he doesn't even give him the decency of going there and recognizing him there. And you wonder why. And you start asking, why, why isn't this prophet? Why isn't this Elisha? Why isn't he coming now and, and, and greeting this man? And let me tell you, there are transactions that you should not be making. There are people that you should not be even speaking to. Don't try to be friendly and bless that which God does not bless and is not friendly with. And if you think you're going to bless God, honor God, be blessed by him and, and, and receive everything from him, but still negotiating with that, that which is darkness, that you, got, you have it in for you. Psalms 1 is very clear. You, you want to be blessed? Watch out who you sit at the table with. Let me tell you, brethren, in the love of God, reality is that you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of darkness, with all due respect, your father is the devil. He's the prince of darkness. That's how come I have a problem when a daughter of mine, spiritual daughter of mine, or spiritual son is going to get married with someone whose father is the prince of darkness. Because that means that's going to be your father-in-law. And that doesn't mean that the person comes or doesn't come to church. Because there's many people that come to church and are full of bitterness. They only come to impress. They only come to satisfy you. I had a young lady that came and told me, I want you to marry. With who? With this young man. Oh, the same man that beat you up? The same man that you came here for counseling for domestic violence? The same man? Oh, he gave himself to the Lord. Where? Show me, show me the fruit. I haven't seen him. No, but over there, he doesn't want to feel comfortable with the church. He doesn't feel, it's not that he doesn't feel comfortable with the church. He doesn't feel comfortable with the word of God. Well, if you don't marry them, leave it. Well, my, my beloved sister, I love you in the Lord. You're my spiritual daughter. God uses you. You're a gift to the body. But guess what? I'm not going to marry you. Not with that history. When next thing he's going to beat you up and I married you and I bless you and I bless your sin. You bring him here. Let me speak to him. No, he doesn't want to come. Oh, he doesn't want to come. I'll give you premarital counseling. So he doesn't even, Elisha doesn't even come out. And Naaman become furious, became furious and went away with saying, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his good. He's going to wave his hand and heal the leprosy. Like if this was witchcraft. You cannot make yourself part of witchcraft. That's how come yesterday we talked about two, two wings of that airplane, two wings of that plane. You want to go high, you want to go, go to the high places, you have to deal with realities. And those realities are things that you, are traumas, are pain, are your history that you need to address. And you, that doesn't mean that you allow witchcraft and your feelings and emotions to overcome the other wing, which is the spiritual word of God that is the foundation for anything. You want me to come and wave a wand? There's no wand here. 
It's like when we make altar calls, we want people to come. Oh, whatever you're going through, God is going to take care of it. He won't take care of everything. There's things that you need to repent for in order to God put his hands in. There's decisions that you've made that you need to repent and break them. There's business deals that you got involved with that God never blessed. He will never bless it. You can come here. I can pray for you. Someone else will give you a prophetic word. Whatever you want to do. At the end of the day, God, are, there are things that God will never bless because they go in, uh, against, counter to God's principles. So he had an expectation. Watch out for people's expectation about you. But then Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. And let, let me ask you a question. What has God recently told you? And what is your reaction to God's prophetic word over your life? Because everybody wants a prophet to come in and speak to you. And, and the thing that I always wonder is, why? Because if the last thing he told you never did it, that's the word that you need. Go and do what God told you to do. Look at the basic tenets of the faith. Be honest. Honor your father and your mother. Forgive people. Trust in God. He's the path. Honor him. Worship him. Make him your first choice in life, in everything you do. But if you don't even take care of that, gather, worship. You need a prophet to tell you to come weekly, to be part of a community, to fellowship with God. You need a, it's in the scripture. Apostle Peter says that the best scripture that we need to be most attentive to is the scripture that is already the prophetic word that is already written. Do not forsake the gathering. But you don't even take care of that. You don't want to be disciple. You don't want to be taught. You don't want the apostle to get into an area that you're struggling with. And that's how come when you're here, you know that that's the series coming. Then you shy away. So he had expectations, and he sends them to the Jordan. What's the Jordan? The place of death. Let me tell you, beloved, in the name of Jesus, with all the love that could come from God through me and your apostles and everyone else here, until you go to a place of brokenness, you will never be able to fulfill God's purpose in your life. No one gets a free ride. What Adam lost in, in, in the garden of pleasure, Jesus Christ had to recover it in the garden of pain. Gethsemane. Abraham was broken. Isaac was broken. Jacob was broken. Joseph was broken. Talk about the story. Hmm? Put, being put in a pit and having to go to Potiphar's home and then going to jail and then got finding ultimately his purpose. Hmm? Moses was broken. How about 40 years in the desert? How about the fact that he had a conscience that he killed a man and he had to run away? How about the fact that he was married to someone who was not of the Hebrew descendants and God almost killed his son? How about that? How about Joshua and having to deal with a people that didn't believe everything God had given them and they, 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 they went astray? They didn't fulfill everything God told them. They had 31 cities to conquer, and they didn't achieve it. At the end of the day, it was Joshua who stood in Joshua 24, 50, and said, listen, you're going to choose whoever, whatever you want to do, but me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. 
and you go down the line, every man of God was broken. It doesn't matter. It's only a few that you don't hear or know their stories. But the majority of them, all of them were broken somehow or another. And you think you and I are going to have a free ride? God will touch you in a place that you least expect that the most hurts. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9 forward, it says that he found me in a barren land. It is in a barren land that God will take you. And the barren land is where you plant a seed and nothing grows. And, and, and it's super cold at night and the wind gusts are amazing and you have to cover yourself and you have nothing to cover yourself with. And then and during the day, it's super heated. So the, the, the opposites and the extremes of your situations are such that you cannot control them because that's a barren land. That's a desert for you. But then uh, Moses says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, you found me in a, desert, in a desert place, in a barren land, and you surrounded me because those places, no one can rescue you. It is only you and God. And you're saying, when is this going to finish? It's going to finish when you grow up enough to develop the character that God wants to for you in order for you to achieve your assignment. I had one man once told me, you're way behind. You're late. And I, my response was, listen, first of all, you don't know. You don't dictate my, God's timing for my life. I'm not late. I'm exactly where God wants me to be at the right time. What I don't want to do is go up too high and not have the character to sustain everything God has done in my life. So, Apostle, you're not late. I'm not late. We're exactly at the time of God, the season of God. No one dictates how long you're there. It is God. The one thing you could tell is that you can smell when rain is coming. You could tell when God is about to bless a house. And so he found me in a barren land. He surrounded me. And then it says, and he taught me. It is a place of pain that you're more vulnerable and open to be taught. And then he kept me as the, what? As the, uh, as the, as the apple of your eye. Because the, God will never take you to the desert for you to, be, for you to die. It will always be for you to be, learn. So this guy didn't want to go anywhere, but God, through the prophet, told him, go to the Jordan. Wasn't it the Jordan where, uh, where Jesus had to be baptized? Yes. Isn't it the place of your barrenness and your brokenness that now you're able to hear the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I have 100% trust and who I love. The Jordan is the place of death, but it's the place of revelation. And then he went there because that's the place that he needed to go to those waters. Yes, he had some rivers, the, the, the scriptures. And when you read about that, there's three rivers, particularly there in Syria. And each of them had a name and they were connected to a different God. And God was telling him, what you think is not worth, what you think doesn't, is not of value, what you think is dirty, I'm going to use it to become the place of your healing. So watch out and curse in the place of your pain because there is the code of your place of your gain. You're hating on that boss. You're hating on that job. 
You're hating on the apartment you have. You're hating on the car. You're hating on everything, and you don't know that it is there, that there's a code that God is teaching you in order for you to, down the line, to be able to say, oh, thank you, because I can embrace those times. They kicked you out of where? Out of somewhere? They kicked you out of a church? They took you out of a position? You had enemies that were just sprung up? Something happened with you? What about a man who left you for another woman? And now you're still holding that bitterness and that anger? Watch out because there's something that, that God is teaching you so that you can be in expectation of what, of what is to come. But while you stay focused in this pain, you'll never see what's about to come. Go. Dive. Seven times. We can go into that number. At the end of the day, he dove, he had a, a squabble with his servants, and they told him, why wouldn't you do this? If he asked you to do anything else, you would have done it. Go, dive, seven times. One, nothing. Twice, some, nothing. Three times, nothing. How many times have you tried things and nothing comes out? Watch out. Follow God's instructions because when you least expect it, you're going to be healed. That's how comes something that is part of who I am. And I don't know if you are like this apostle, and some of you are, but my generation, we learned how to be faithful. We come from the time where you went into a company and you spent 25 years in that company. I know things have changed, but I go to the same laundry all the time. I go to the same Dunkin' or the same Starbucks all the time. I don't change them. I have the same route every day. Once in a while, I'll, you know. I don't have a problem with zigzagging, going somewhere else, but I, this is my path. This is how I do it. I buy my clothes in the same place. Once in a while, I go somewhere else, you know, but it's always go back to the, because I like to be faithful. My friends are my friends. I don't exchange them. I'm not your friend today and tomorrow I'm not. That's part of character. <clears throat> I have a friend of mine who invited me three times to North Carolina amazing, glorious. He blessed me beyond my even ability to comprehend. I told him, why are you doing this? You know, I, I don't come here for this. But he blessed me. He decided, well, guess what? I got a call last week. And he's sick. And he's in, in another state. He's not in North Carolina. And he's in a hospital. And I called him up. What's going on? Tell me the story. I'm not going to give you the whole story. He has cancer. And, and God miraculously is doing is an amazing job. And I told him, you know what? What I want to do, I'm going to go with one of my friends over to your church in North Carolina. I don't want you to pay for anything. I'm going to plant it and play, put a seed in your life and your ministry. We're going to go give you a whole weekend so that that day when we go there, don't pay for the hotel, don't pay for the airplane, don't pay for the food. We're going to do everything so that we can serve you. Because when we have friends who are true friends, we want to plant a seed in them in the good times and in the bad times. And one of the pastors that I'm taking, I'm modeling for him. This is what you do. Kingdom business, apostolic work is not about you having the, the, the platform and about you getting the money and you getting the resource and you getting the, the recognition. No, it's about you serving others, especially when they most need. Yeah. Bottom line is, he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored. Here's the point. This is where we're going to end. 
We're going to land this plane here. He returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. In other words, watch out with your back room deals. Because what you take from people who have the wrong motivations, or even if they do, but you take it in exchange, trying to sell what God has given you, sooner or later, their curse will become your curse. Jot it down. Write it down. I don't want you to, to say many amens. I want you to write it down. You do not take everything from everyone. Because you don't know motivations. You don't know what's hidden. I did not do this miracle because at the end of the day, I didn't do it. I just served as a mouthpiece. I told you, go to the river. You went. You did what you had to do. You come back. Thank you for the testimony. Goodbye. And then it says, so Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer the burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing... May the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship there and he leans on my hand and I bow down in the temple of Rimmon. But when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Basically, Naaman said, look, I understand who saved me. I understand who healed me. I get the revelation. I understand that I cannot have a personal financial transaction. But I want you to know that though I'm going to be with the king and I still have to go to his temple, I want you to know when I go there, I want some earth. I want some dust. I want that which makes the carries your DNA to go with me. Because I, when I'm there in the hidden place, I'm going to be serving the God who healed me. That's powerful. And then he said, go in peace. But Jesse, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, look, my master has spared name in this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he had brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. People that are behind you and with you but never understood that you have to pay the price. And this is not, it's not about avarice. This is not about money. This is not about greed. This is not about position or title. And he has seen all of that. So he was so close, however, so far away. He didn't get it. And look at the last verse. The last two verses. So Jesse pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men. He came with a story. He came with a lie. Because he, what he wanted was the money. He wanted the resources. That's exactly what he gave him. And, and then he says in verse, um, when he, it says in verse 24, when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let them go, men go, and they departed. Now he went and stood before his master, Elisha, and he said to him, where did you go, Jesse? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Lies. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Do you think that men of God, who God has placed, don't have discernment? I stayed here, but my heart was with you. 
And it says, um, then he said to him, did not my heart go with you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and, uh, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. The person who had nothing, even though he had title, but had leprosy because of a young lady who believed in the word of a prophet, gave him a message through his master, and he took it to the king, and the king wrote a letter to the other king, and the other king of Israel got all nervous and uptight and paranoid, but there's a man of God who heard it and came to him and told him, send them over. He didn't even greet him, but gave him a direction. He took the direction. He was upset about it, but he dove in to the water that are dirty. And because of his obedience, he was now healed. He comes back to give back as a thanksgiving, rewards and blessings. Again, the prophet of God never received them. Wanted to make sure that his motive was pure. He sent them away, but his servant, who should have been the next great prophet of God, exchanged his health and the health of generations to come after him in exchange for some goods. Watch it that you do not exchange God's glory for something that's temporary. Because generations to come will suffer. Why did God give me this word for this house today? Because God is about to do something amazing in this house. And there's a season for you to stop crying what is no longer there. Stop. That's the word that the Holy Spirit impresses on me. Stop. Stop crying what's no longer there. Because when, what is not there is because I removed it. And you will never get to the next level and dimension unless you stop and look at me. I'll take care of that which is God. I'll take care of that which you don't have. I'll take care of your finances. I'll, I'll take care of the building. I'll take care of the provision. I'll take care of the next move. I'll take care of the families. I'll take care of the next level of leadership that's about to come into this house. I'll take care of that. But I want you to have me and do not negotiate under any circumstances with anything that does not come from me. Be diligent. Go and take possession of your land. Seize the promises I have given you. Focus. Those that left, bless them. Hug them. But they're not part of your journey right now. Move forward. There's no time to waste. And watch out that those that do not appear to be part of could be the person and the generations that God is bringing you because they are the ones that will take the positions and the blessings that those that were close to you rejected. He left you, honey. Say goodbye. Take your pictures off from Facebook. <laughs> Take the old albums. And if, unless you have other children there in those pictures, 
Get rid of them. Garbage. Why should you be after something that has rejected you? Someone who has rejected you. You have a problem with identity? At the end of the day, they're not going to stand before the Lord. It's you who's going to stand before the Lord. And at the end of the day, when you go to the cemetery, there's a date that you were born and the date that you're going to pass. And the only thing that matters is that little line in the middle. And with all due respect, I'm a father. And with all due respect, I know what I'm talking to you about because I dealt with families my whole life. With all due respect, I love my children. But they become 18, 19, 20, and they make their own decisions. And you got to let them go. And you need to follow your assignment. And if you're not careful, you try to live your life through them, you get stuck, you don't move forward, and you don't understand that they're still looking at your reactions when they left because that's what's going to teach them character. And what's yours will always come back. And that's how come I love Dr. Dobson when he said, when he wrote many years ago, there's an intrinsic level of guilt in everyone who's a parent. And the reason why he said it is because when I'm 50, there's no way I could have had the wisdom that, that, that I have the same wisdom that I had when I was 25, when I was a new father. At 25, I know nothing about being a father. So as I look back, I made mistakes. But what am I going to do, get stuck now at 50 because I made mistakes at 25? No, thank God because I was a father. With all my mistakes, at least you had a father. I didn't have one, and if I did, he didn't even understand what fathering was, parenting was. So praise God for what you got. But you know what? Nothing that you say, even my mistakes, are going to stop me from realizing who I am today and where I'm headed. No guilt from the devil, no guilt from my family, no guilt from my spiritual children, no guilt from my own mistakes, from my own sin will stop God's purpose. Today I'm a new person and I am so close to the amazing, glorious, mysterious, powerful, anointing release he's going to bring over this house and my assignment that I will not forfeit it for anyone. What's surrounding you? What are you going through? What are you stuck in? What relationship are you not letting go? What losses have you not processed? What crisis you're dealing with? What is it that you're lacking? Yesterday we read in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, there's foundation. Sit down with someone. And number one, ask the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to guide you. And to deal with your emotions. But do not let your affiliations with anyone stop you and hinder you from God's goal in your life. Stop. Stop. Let it go. Move forward. I know in 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 the spiritual dimension that what God is about to do in this house is greater. There's there cannot be negligence. There's things you have to do that God will not do for you. But you must stretch into a new dimension of what God has for this house. And let let me tell you, remind you, that what covers you is what defines you. The higher you go as an apostle, as a pastoral team, as leadership, as a house, the more you give and invest into the community and you invest into your other spiritual houses, the higher you will go. 
God is in the process of stretching this house to places that you have never thought about. But it's, it is not based on your brains. It is based on the spirit of God. I trust and believe and I prophesy that from here to three months, many things will change in this house. I can see there's, the Lord is telling me there's two businesses that are about to open up in this house. Two businesses. Two offices or two businesses are about to start in the next three months in this house. I don't know who God is speaking to you. I don't know who God is speaking to. But snatch that word. Take it in. And if God has given you that dream, go after it. Go. Go. The Lord is telling you, go. Move forward. Start knocking on doors. Do not hide it. Do not eat it. Do not put it alone and leave it there. No. Let it out. Because there's greatness in you to be manifested. Because there's people waiting for your business to open up. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you. At the end of the day, it's God's kingdom. God's glory. It's God's resources. He'll take care of you in the process, just like he did with Nehemiah. He went to build the walls. God gave him wood for his own house. So there's two businesses God, that God is speaking right now, two. In three months, it will be manifested. Open shop. Speak to the right people. Find out, do your research, and move in faith. Make sure that you get the blessing from the house. God is about to release this house to another dimension in the finances. You will raise offerings in this house that you have never raised before. You, God will put you in a position to start projects that you cannot afford. The first time I gave $1,000 as an offering, I was shocked. The next time I gave $3,000 an offering, as an offering, I, I couldn't believe it. And I gave it because during the summers, my church, I would always have to, from my own personal bank account, had to supplement my church budget. And I said, Lord, I'm going to give it. There's a crazy man of God in this conference, and he said, the Lord told me to take my jacket and break it up in 70 pieces. You come and pick up one of those pieces, and you give me $1,000. I don't care for your $1,000. I want you to obey. I said, you know what? I have a miracle that I need in New Jersey, and I was in another country. I'm going to give $3,000 because I need three miracles. One miracle for June, one for July, and one for August. I will no longer subsidize the church's budget. I gave the $3,000. From that day on, I had never had the need to be able to help and assist and subsidize the budget of the church. If I operate in, in faith, my church will operate in faith. And I don't care for your money. That's not the point. This is not about money. This is about your faith. Because let me ask you something. If God can do it for you for a car, can he do it for your soul? Yes. If he can do it for you for a house, can he save a relative that you have? Yes. That's the way it works. And where's that scripturally? Well, the people, the house was packed. The man needed a miracle. They opened up the roof. They brought him down. And what they, did he say? Your sins are forgiven. And all the legalists and Pharisees, they started saying, who is this man that starts forgiving sins? And he said, so that you know that I can forgive sins, stand up, take your cot, and let's walk. Because most of us, unless it's financial, 
unless it has to do with something that's tangent, we forget that God is a bigger God. That tangent stuff is only something simple so that we can see. For God to give you $10,000, that's nothing. There's a young lady who has cancer. She came the third Sunday of the, of the month of January to our church. I was asking for an offering. She came and said, there's $1,000. And I said, watch God bless you and multiply, and multiply you sevenfold. She told me about two weeks ago, she sent me a, a messenger message. She said, listen, I want you to know that I got my miracle. What was it? That I needed money for my, my child who had a, an emergency medical procedure, and I needed $5,000. I was walking through a street close to a, 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 close to a, a, a beach, and I found a, a, an envelope. When I looked around, there was no one. I opened up the envelope. It had 700, 700 no, it had 70, um, it had $700 of 100, 700, 100, uh, one, 70, it has 70 100 bills. Yes. $70, $100 bills. How much is that? Look, I, I, it's not about money. That's not the point. If he could give you something tangible that you need, won't he give you something that's more eternal? So my recommendation, my word for you is speak the word. Let there be no service in this house that you don't make an altar call, that you don't ask people, whoever is sick, to come. Lay hands on them. Speak the word. They are healed in the name of Jesus. They are prospered in the name of Jesus. Families are, are, are resolved, are healed, are, are reunited. That's the word of God that has validity. It has eternal value. That's what God has for you. I believe that, and I'm speaking to you not because I believe it, because someone else told me. I live it. And what I give to you is because God has given to me.